everyone. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to Peculiar Stories and Far Out Tales. I'm Anna Howington. I'm Kim Yellen, and I think I'm going first. Yeah. Okay. I am doing, I did one disappearance earlier, and I'm going to do another disappearance. This time it's a bit more nefarious, maybe. Um, And I'm doing the disappearance of Jimmy Hoffa. Oh. So I... Wait, isn't this the guy? Oh, I think I might know what this is. But I don't know the full story at all. Yeah, like I feel like like I was playing um, my favorite game ever, Trivial Pursuit, with my parents. And his name came up. And I was like, I've heard the name before, but I don't know any of the details. Mm. Yeah, so we'll get into the details. All right. Jimmy Hoffa was born on Valentine's Day, 1913. His uh, father was a coal miner, and he died when Jimmy was seven. And this kind of one of the one of the things I was listening to said that this kind of started his realization how important workers rights are and having mm-hmm. kind of a united voice and how your your job won't protect you. And that kind of set him up for the next steps in his life. So his mom had to work two jobs. They ended up moving to Detroit or Detroit, mm-hmm. as my mom says. How does she say it? Detroit. it? Like she puts in like an, an extra T in there? I've never quite, we used to make fun of her all the time. I've never. Detroit. Detroit. it. Yeah. Like I don't know if it's a Canadian thing or. Oh, wow. I've never heard it like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Every time she says it. So I don't know. Maybe it's because of the I. Oh, maybe. I don't know. But it's not like, like if you want to say it like the French way, it'd be like Detroit. Like it wouldn't. That's true. I don't, I don't yeah. know what she's doing, but. Whatever. Anyway, so Jimmy Hoffa moved, uh, his family moved to Detroit. Um, He left school at 14 and he started working at a grocery chain. And he was like the guy that took the stuff off of the truck. And it was really bad conditions to work in. Even as a teenager, so at 19, he organized like a strike. Okay. So it it worked. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he, even at a young age, was really interested in unionizing and in getting everybody together. And this started his development towards the Teamster Union. So the Teamsters is what he's known the most for. So um, the International Brotherhood of the Teamsters is mostly truck drivers. And the term comes from when when it was like teams of horses. Oh, wow. That was really interesting. Like I've heard the word Teamsters before, but I really I had no idea what it was. So it's Hmm. it's truck drivers or like transportation drivers like I just thought it meant that they were like a team. Right. Yeah, that (laughs) would make sense. Right. (laughs) So um, it's yeah, it's anybody that like hauls freight. To an extent. Okay. Okay. So even though he was never a truck driver, he was able to kind of get in with this union. And um, the union was kind of failing too. Like they didn't have a lot of money. Wait. So he wasn't a truck driver and he just joined this union kind of like it was a club? Yeah, a little bit. Like he he kind of, he started to get involved with it and started to get involved with union activity. He kind of moved up the ranks of his first, his local chapter of the Teamsters in Detroit. But don't you have to, do the job to be in the union? I don't think to be, maybe not to be in leadership, but he got the Teamsters to kind of incorporate the dock workers too. Oh, like I he see. convinced okay. them okay. that he's like, include us. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. I've, I'm not super familiar with unions to be, to be totally honest with you, but I guess mm-hmm. that like you can kind of represent whoever you want. So he, he got the Teamsters to, to cover dock workers too, and anybody kind of involved with 
trucking and involved with, like I said, freight and and all that sort of stuff. Okay. So like I said, he started out um, being really active in his local organization, Local 299 um, in Detroit. Pretty quickly after that, he moved into into regional sections and then he, he moved into the national organization. And he started representing the the Teamsters on a national level. Wow. And yeah, so he he definitely is somebody that like has a whole lot of like chutzpah. Like he yeah. he wanted to get stuff done and he like was always pushing to be the best. And he, I mean, he did it for sure. Like the things that he did with the Teamsters was amazing. Like membership when he joined, it said was at 75,000. And after his leadership, a year later, it was at 170,000. And then three wow. years later, it was at 420,000. So, Whoa. like, yeah, that he is, was like, that's crazy getting stuff done. And it, it was kind of because he was expanding the role of what a teamster was. And so it became, because of how big it was, it became a very powerful union, as you might, as you might guess. Yeah. So then in 1952, at the Teamsters convention, he was selected as the national vice president. The person who was president when he was vice president was named Dave Beck. And Hoffa um, apparently like had a big argument with the former president. His name was Daniel Tobin. Hmm. I don't know. There were kind of insinuations that he was like used intimidation and got stuff done, but maybe not in the, the most positive ways. And it really started with Tobin, that he was able to, to kind of push him around and able to kind of tell him, tell him mm. what he wanted done. Um, so that was in 1952. And then in 1957, he was elected president. Okay. Just as kind of a side note. So um, Dave Beck, who I mentioned was the president right before Hoffa took over, the United States government really started pushing in a lot on all unions, and they formed uh, the U.S. Senate Select Committee for Improper Activity in Labor and Management Field. And Dave Beck, because of how powerful the uh, Teamsters were, he was a main, like, guy that they wanted to get. And he was deposed, like, he was put on trial, and he pled the fifth 140 times in response to questions. Oh, wow. Yeah, and he ended up going to jail. So even at the very beginning of Hoffa's presidency, the walls were kind of pushing in. One of the chairmen of this committee, too, was Robert F. Kennedy. So, like, Hmm. I mean, you start pissing off the Kennedys, I feel like. Not things great aren't going to go great for you. No, not great things are going to go from there. So, um, and then in 1961, he was reelected president. He, again, was trying really hard to get, like like we were talking about, that unions can kind of accept everybody. He was trying to get airline workers. Oh. So, yeah. So anybody oh. that moved freight. And he this was. This guy was just accumulating power. <laughs> right. A hustler. Just power for move sure. after power move. He's like, I'm going to own this whole goddamn country. Yep. If you move things. I want to be in control of you. Wow. Or, on the other hand, fighting for you. Uh, right. Yes. Yes. That's true. And this was when the mob kind of started to enter the picture. I see. And um, they they definitely realized that this this was a lot of power. Like this is these were a lot of people that that Hoffa and that the Teamsters were in control of. They started to um, do a lot of, uh, oh, shoot, what's that word called? 
like misappropriation of funds. They got really involved in the pension, the Teamsters pension. Um, Mm -hmm. They were using it for money laundering. And Hoffa was kind of just letting this happen. Like he he was aware of it. It, for For all that we can assume, I guess, he was aware of it. And then because of that, he was indicted. He was convicted in 1964. And then when he was like in the middle of going to jail, he was reelected to like (laughs) as he was like defending himself, like just to show you like how loved and how like respected and maybe like feared to an extent this guy was. He was he ran unopposed and won in 1966. Unopposed. Yes. Yeah. That smells like if you were to oppose them, you might disappear. Right. Yes. (laughs) Nobody wanted to be the one that ran against Jimmy Hoffa. So even when he was on his way to jail, he was elected president. And then when he was on his way to jail, they convicted him again of jury tampering of the original trial. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he ended up getting sentenced to eight years in prison for the jury tampering, and then five years in prison for the original charge. So 13 years altogether. So he went to jail in Tennessee. And then again, as he was in jail, he started to get investigated by Robert Kennedy. So now Robert Kennedy was the attorney general. His his brother, John F. Kennedy, had gotten elected president. And then Robert F. Kennedy got attorney general. And he was not a fan of Hoffa. And he had a supposed vendetta that everyone called, quote, get Hoffa, was like his slogan, was was Robert Kennedy's slogan. So hmm. he was making making some enemies in, in not great places. So while he was in jail, this man named Frank Fitzsimmons was named the acting president of the union. And under Fitzsimmons, the mob got even more control and even more like dug in hmm. with... With the Teamsters, some of the things I was reading made it sound like kind of Fitzgerald was maybe not as, I don't want to say not as bold, but like he was maybe a little easier to push around. But it also might have just been that like this was how things always were and he was just making it bigger. Like, I don't know. He was kind of set up with that. When Hoffa was in jail, he started to want to distance himself from the mob. Like he was like, we need to be in control of what's going on and we want the mob to be out of teamster activities Hmm. and so there were those two kind of conflicting viewpoints and even though Hoffa was in jail he was he still had a lot of control he had a lot of influence Hmm. he was still kind of like calling the shots Hmm. and I think the fact that Frank Fitzsimmons was only elected acting president kind of proves that too that like they were holding his spot for sure like they they wanted wanted Hoffa back even though he was like this convicted criminal my sorry my cat's name frank and he is like hearing his name over and over again and is like i'm surprised Aww. he hasn't started meowing but he's like are you talking to me um while he was in jail hoffa resigned his position as president in 1971 and fitzsimmons became the the for real president so now fitzsimmons is in charge of the teamster union okay then in December of 1971, after he had served less than five years of his 13-year sentence, Hoffa was released from prison um, when President Nixon commuted his sentence to time served. Oh, wow. That's kind of fishy. Yes. So President Nixon came in and was like, let this guy out of jail. And it's believed to be one of one of the kind of theories as to why he did this is because Nixon was trying really hard to get the blue-collar vote 
I see. And because Hoffa was such a, like I said, such a beloved uh, national figure of unions and of the working man, um, Nixon wanted to win those votes. So he commuted his sentence. It's also suggested a little bit that there was coercion between Nixon and Fitzsimmons because as part of his release, Hoffa could not be involved with any union activity until 1980. So almost 10 years. Hmm. And supposedly... He couldn't be involved in it out front, but behind right. the scenes, there was probably a little something going on. Right. But then the kind of suggestion is that Fitzsimmons paid Nixon... And there was a withdrawal of $1.75 million from the Teamsters Retirement Fund that was, like, brought somewhere in Las Vegas that, like, everyone's like, I don't know what happened to that. But supposedly... these stupid fucking presidents (laughs) taking this money out and brought... It's like, just all we have to do is follow the money. Right. But it's always been like this. Like, it's all, like, corruption has always been there. Like... And so, yeah, so this like support this money that supposedly that quote might have gone to an aide of Nixon and then disappeared sure. and no one knows where it went. $1.7 million. Yes. In nineteen seventy one. Like that I didn't look up how much, so much that money. was. Oh my God. Yeah. That was withdrawn from the Teamsters retirement and family protection plans. So like first of all, wow. I think that points out how much friggin' money and power the Teamsters had. Yeah. That they, they even had that much money to bribe someone with. I know. So somehow this, like, bribe and this connection to Nixon was connected to the fact that Hoffa could not be involved in union activity for 10 years. Hmm. And, and Fitzsimmons is somewhere in the middle of that. Hmm. So Hoffa was not super happy about that. He was he was quite upset. He he contends that he never agreed to this condition. Mm-hmm. So he kept trying to like get involved. Like he wanted to be involved in this union activity. It was all he was he like knew. Yes. Yes, I do kind of think that he uh, for some reason there seems to be this kind of like ethics shift that when he was in jail, he did not want to be involved in these like corruptive things. Hmm. And so he wanted to kind of like, it seems to me, I don't know, maybe I'm just like speaking out of out of turn, but it seems to me that he had a change of heart. Yeah, that he he wanted to kind of get the Teamsters back in good graces and wanted, you know, kind of wanted to end all this corruption and all this connection to the mob and whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, he sued the government because he said that this condition made it to where like he couldn't make an income and mm. nothing worked. He was he wasn't able to kind of get established again. I'd like to sue the government right now for not being able to make an income. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> I'm sure there's plenty of people Be that would nice. like to do that. Yeah, <laughs> don't think I'd win. <laughs> Goodness, all the all the things. But yeah, so he was trying to get involved. So that kind of sets us up for the next three or four years. So enter these two guys. I'm gonna try really hard to say their names. I've heard them a couple of times. So there's Anthony Provenzano, who is called Tony Pro. Ooh, I love it. (laughs) I like it too. You might like this one, this other one. Then the other guy's name was Anthony Giacalani, and he was called Tony Jack. So, (laughs) yeah. So there's Tony, Tony Pro and Tony Jack. Love it. Yeah. And they were both involved with the Teamsters, but they were both very involved with the mob too. With names like that, they better be. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah, for sure. Otherwise, what a waste of a name. Right. Um, 
anyway, so these two guys started to kind of come around Hoffa a lot. So hmm. in 1973 and 1974, um, Hoffa asked Tony Pro for support to try to get his position back. And Tony Pro and Jimmy Hoffa were in jail together. And hmm. apparently when Hoffa asked for his support, Provenzano refused and he threatened Hoffa by reportedly saying he would pull out his guts and kidnap his children. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. He wasn't messing around. That's aggressive. <laughs> yes. Very uh, right to the point. And then and then there was Tony Jack and he was an alleged kingpin with the Detroit Mafia. And these two guys started to come over to Hoffa's house a lot and started to kind of they were painting them as kind of like peace meetings but uh jimmy hoffa's son james said quote dad was pushing so hard to get back into office i was increasingly afraid that the mob would do something about it and that his dad was getting increasingly uneasy each time um these two guys came around Hmm. according to hoffa they set up a meeting for july 30th 1975 and so hoffa told everybody he said he was going to this meeting with these two guys with i'm gonna try the names again provenzano and Jackaloni, so Tony Pro and Tony Jack. Um, the meeting was set for 2 p.m. at the Red Fox in uh, a suburb of Detroit. What a great name for a place. Yes. The Red Fox. Yeah. It's a perfect name to meet a couple of, of mobsters. mobsters. <laughs> yeah. Well, well um, Hoffa's son had his wedding reception there. So, like, maybe it was oh. just, like, the only place in town, too. Like, <laughs> it, was, it was the place. So, again, for all intent and purposes... It seems that Hoffa at least believed he had this meeting with these two guys. So he left the house in his green Pontiac, which again was mentioned a hundred times in everything I read and it never (laughs) seemed relevant, but whatever. He was in his green (laughs) Pontiac. And then between 2.15 and 2.30, so the meeting was supposed to be at two o'clock. At between 2.15 and 2.30, Hoffa was getting really annoyed. And like all these witnesses saw him just like pacing in the parking lot and like just getting like more and more annoyed. And he called up his wife from a payphone to see if anybody had left any messages to see if these guys had called. And she told him that he hadn't. And so he was like, fine, I'll be back at four o'clock. And so all these witnesses saw him standing by his car. Um, and then people recognized him. Like people like stopped and talked to him. Like people saw him mm. out there. Um, he called one more of his friends again to complain that, that these guys were all late. The guy that he called said that Hoffa had called him at 3.30, so like an hour and a half late from the meeting. Okay, which so I just have a quick question about this. If you're going to kidnap a guy, why would you be so late? Why would, yeah, why wouldn't <laughs> like, you be wouldn't on time? Wouldn't you be just like scared that he would leave? <laughs> if somebody was an hour and a half late, I would have left a yeah, long time ago. I would not be hanging around. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It just, I, I, that doesn't sit right. Yeah, I might kind of knock that up to like, being a different time though like I feel like because we have cell phones now we don't just like hang around like if I if you told me you were going to meet somewhere at two and then I went there and you weren't there and I called you three or four times and you didn't pick up I'd just leave but like if there was no way of ever getting in touch with you I might just like hang out like I might be like oh something happened to her an hour though an hour would be pushing it but I don't know yeah so he he this guy claims that he called him at 3 30 the FBI says that it might have been a a bit earlier but it was I mean it was around that time still don't be late to a kidnapping (laughs) I mean (laughs) 
just <laughs> let's be punctual criminals why yeah. are you being late to a kidnapping how dare you yep um so according to the fbi and according to some witnesses that were there hoffa at between 245 and 250 so even even if we're going on kind of the most uh broad estimates it's still an hour late like 45 minutes late mm. He got into a car without a struggle, and, and a witness said that it was, quote, a Lincoln or a Mercury, and that there were three other people in the car. Hmm. And this was the last time that anybody, dun-dun-dun, saw him alive. <laughs> so, except for somebody that killed him, I'm guessing. So, um, <laughs> Yeah, the, that person definitely did. Definitely saw One him again. One of those again. three people saw him right. for a yes. little bit longer. <laughs> so um, at 7 a.m. the next day, um, Hoffa's wife called her son. She called her daughter to see if their dad had called. Both of them said no. She also called uh, the friend that that Hoffa had been calling before. And at 7.20, this friend went to the Red Fox and he found Hoffa's unlocked car in the parking lot. And there was no sign of Hoffa or any indication of what happened to him. So like hmm. no signs of a struggle, no nothing. Um, and then the local police showed up on the scene and very quickly, which I feel like when you're like reading about like 70s crime, sometimes this doesn't happen. But they got the state police and the FBI involved right away. Like hmm. they knew that that something was going on. I think there was like an instant like this is probably the mob. Type yeah. Of thing. Um, and then his son filed a missing person report. His family offered two hundred thousand dollars for a reward for information about the disappearance. Um, and so then the investigation started. So the only things that are known for sure from the investigation is that, like I said, the witnesses said that it was a, a maroon Lincoln or Mercury. And Tony Jackalano's son, Joseph, owned a 1975 Mercury Marquise, a maroon Mercury. And that car was being borrowed by this other guy uh, named Chucky O'Brien. Hmm. And O'Brien was almost like Hoffa's son. Like, like a lot of things described him as this, like, foster son and then, like, just just really connected with the family and with Hoffa. But there was some falling Oh, my out. God, I saw this movie. The Irishman? Yeah. Yeah. That's, this that's was what, The Irishman? This is yes. what that was based off of. Yeah. Yeah. I think I just forgot. That was because th- it was three hours long. Yes. I started to watch it, and I was like, meh. No. Oh, to save yourself yes. before you do that. <laughs> Yeah. You don't want to do that. So the I Irish- mean, you should now that you did the story. I can't believe like that movie was so long and so boring <laughs> that I forgot that whole story but until this, this point. <laughs> this is what sparked your memory, this Chucky oh O'Brien. Oh, my God, yes. Yeah, yeah. So wow. yeah, he was kind of in it. And then the Irishman, What we're going to get to, um, I can't remember his first name, Sh- Shannon uh-huh. Sheeran. Frank, again, Frank Sheeran. Frank is, my cat's going crazy. There are. <laughs> Tons of Franks. Um, yeah, so this kid, Chucky O'Brien, um, was Hoffa's foster son, but there was some kind of falling out. It was uh, suggested that maybe O'Brien was one of the people in the car, um, but one of the investigators said that O'Brien would be considered too unreliable to entrust with such a high-profile murderer. So they <laughs> thought he was too dumb to like be involved with this. Huh. And then police dogs smelled this car. O'Brien probably heard that. And he was like, hey, guys, that could kill somebody. What are you talking about? Right, right. But so apparently this Chucky O'Brien probably wouldn't be involved in it. But he did have a maroon that day. He was borrowing a maroon Mercury. 
So, I mean, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. Also, police dogs identified Hoffa's scent in the car. Yeah, he did it. Yeah, and when when he was, like, confronted with that news, that, like, hey, dude, the dog said he was in your car, he was like, Hoffa was never in my car, and there'd be no way that he was ever in my car. And it's like, dude, he was, like, your dad. Like, I mean, I'm yeah. sure he was in the car. At another, like, can't, couldn't you just say, yeah, he was in my car two <sighs> weeks ago? Yeah, real dumb, but whatever. You need dumb people around, I guess. No, we need less of them. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Dumb, dumb. Um, harmless. Harmless, yes. That's good. Be, be dumb, but maybe don't, don't like, get into politics or something. Like, just kind of be dumb over don't there. Don't voice your opinions. Like, yes. On, just go. On social media. Yes. Just go be dumb in the corner, please. Yes. Like, just. Yes, please. Be dumb somewhere else. <sighs> um, and then these two guys, this Tony Jack and Tony Pro, they both were like, I wasn't even in the area. So, Tony Pro told investigators that he was playing cards in New Jersey. And he was like, I have all these witnesses. I'm going to do this terrible accent until it's good. <laughs> but he was like, I have all these witnesses. Like, almost like too many witnesses, to be totally honest with you. Like, you all know, the witnesses are in the mob itself. <laughs> right, right. Be like, I shook hands with everybody. I said hi to everybody. I got um, Tony and Tony and Tony. <laughs> Yeah, so they they all said they were out of town. They all said they weren't in the area. And Giovanni over there. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely talked to him. He was definitely here. And so the, the investigation kind of continued. It continued for years. Um, and there were no leads. Like, there was no physical leads. There were no confessions. Like, nobody was, was saying anything. Uh, Hoffa's wife died in um, 1980. And then Hoffa was legally declared dead in 1982. So I, I guess I don't know how you like officially get declared dead, hmm. but like it was seven mm -hmm. years later was when they decided to, which seems early. like a weird, right? I feel like Amelia Earhart was like twenty five years, yeah, and she was definitely dead, <laughs> right? Yeah, but yeah, I I don't know how one does that. I hope I never have to know. To be totally honest, uh, with me you. too. Yeah, but okay. So now for kind of the suspects. Um, the first suspect are obviously um, these two guys, Tony Pro and Tony Jack. And then they were in Chucky O'Brien's car. They supposedly met up with uh, this Frank Sheeran guy. So Sheeran, who is the Irishman, who's the guy that got with, with Charles Bennett to write. Uh, the original book was called I Heard You Paint Houses. And then hmm. that got, which I think is such, like, that's such a, like, cool title. Like, it's a great name. Yeah, and it's a, it's because that was apparently what you said to hitmen. That was, like, code. So if I wanted a hitman, I would call up and be like, hey, I heard you paint houses. <laughs> and the hitman would just know that you were asking for a hitman. Oh, fascinating. So Frank Sheeran was, it says allegedly, but, like, he was a professional killer. Like, he was a hitman for the mob. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So... He, like, deathbed confession in the 2000s. Like, <gasps> oh, my God, are you giving me a deathbed confession? Yes. You know I love those, Kim. Yes. You know I love them. Well, that whole, the Irishman was, like, his deathbed confession. Like, I those told were you, I don't remember most oh. of the Irishman. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so he said. It was very long. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, so he said, like, on his deathbed, he had all these interviews with this guy. He said that. Um, himself and then this these other guys with these very Italian names um, went and picked up Hoffa and then they drove him to an abandoned house and then Sheeran shot him twice in the head and then left. That wasn't his job to clean up everything. He left the mm. gun and he claims that Hoffa was cremated after the murder 
And that's just what happened to him. Hmm. And the Detroit police did go to the house that he claimed that the murder happened in. And they were able to find blood, but they weren't able to find any DNA matching Hoffa. So maybe it was just, maybe a bunch of people died in that house. Or maybe he was getting his houses mixed up. Or, yeah, or his killing's confused. (laughs) Right. I mean, I'm sure it happens. But I don't know. Does it? Does it happen? Do you forget things like that? I don't know. I mean, if you kill enough people, I guess it kind of just becomes... It was like the kill house. (laughs) Right, yeah. everybody there. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But I, I don't know. Like, I mean, the story sounds really good. There's a whole bunch of articles that were written to, like, refute it. There was absolutely no physical evidence. The only thing, like, the entire movie and the entire book are solely based on this guy's word. His, like, deathbed confession that he was involved in the biggest supposed mob hit in the world. You know what I mean? Like, hmm. I don't know. It's I, I tend to not, like, when people confess to things, sometimes I'm like, well, where's the, per-? like, I mean, I you can kind of say anything. And people, like, confess to crimes all the time that they didn't commit. Mm, mm-hmm. I don't know, particularly, like, a deathbed that you know that, like, you're not going to get convicted of it. Yeah, but I Um, mean, look, he also was in that area around that time. Yeah, yeah. He was the guy that they went to. Yeah, that's true. Maybe I'm just being too harsh on this guy for his his deathbed confession. Look, I think we should be fairly harsh on the the hitman. The mob hitman. (laughs) I don't know. Let's all be nice to the mob hitman. Maybe he didn't kill the guy. Yeah. There was another guy named Richard, I think it's Kolkinski. He wasn't sure how Hoffa was killed, but he claimed that his body was put in a 50-gallon drum and then set on fire and that the drum was welded shut and then thrown away. And then later, someone else, like some mob informant, like probably someone like me, got <laughs> arrested and they were sure that this person would reveal where the body was. So they went and dug up the body and then like shipped it to Japan, like shipped it to Japan as scrap metal is what this guy claimed to have happened. I mean, I feel like they could find a better way to get rid of a body than shipping it to Japan. Well, speaking of great ways to get rid of the body, one of the best theories around this time, they were constructing giant stadium in (laughs) um, New Jersey and there was this big rumor that he was buried in Giant Stadium, like in the foundation of Giant Stadium. Hmm. And like the Mythbusters did a whole show about this, trying to find Love these it. remains. Like they used like ground penetrating radar or they just, and they couldn't find anything. But that was the rumor for a long time is that hmm. Jimmy Hoffa was buried in the foundation of Giant Stadium. Um, and I, I guess... Nobody else thought that it was true. They demolished Giant Stadium in 2010. Hmm. And, like, the FBI didn't even bother to show up. Like, they <laughs> were like, "There's no, no, he's not. But apparently no human remains were found. Hmm. He might have been um, put in an incinerator at a crematorium that was controlled by the mob. That sounds like the most likely thing. Right. Or I that- mean, if you're the mob and you're like, I got to get rid of a body, are you going to put it in a drum and ship it to Japan? Or are you just going to throw it in this crematorium that you have access to right right i feel like the japan thing is just like a good story like if i was telling a story i'd be like we sealed it up and then shipped it to uh japan like i feel like it's just like saying this crazy story but that kind of ends it there nobody really knows where he is um all the things i was listening to were talking about how pretty much everybody that was directly involved with this case is dead now so there's there's probably never really gonna be 
you know, the for sure truth. No one knows what happened to Jimmy Hoffa. No one knows how he died, who killed him, where he's buried. Um, as a final note, the current president of the Teamsters is Jimmy Hoffa's son, is James oh. Hoffa. They're still pretty involved with the Teamsters. I'd like to believe that they have cut the mob ties. I mean, if you think that the mob killed your dad, I would hope you wouldn't continue yeah. to be involved. It's a full circle story, though. Right. I love yeah. it. So uh, his name's James P. Hoffa, and he is the president of the Teamsters. But yeah, that's that's the story of Jimmy Hoffa. And you know what, Kim? You told it in about 45 minutes. <laughs> Why Martin <hours>. Scorsese <laughs> needed th- more than three hours to tell yeah. that story is beyond me. I mean, has Martin Scorsese ever been, like, short-winded? Like, Look, has he ever... He was just he was just messing with us at that point. He was like, <laughs> I can get them to make this movie three hours. They're not going to tell me no. He knew. Yeah, he yeah. Knew. I mean, was it Robert De Niro? Wasn't he yeah, the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was the Irishman in it. Uh, yeah, I'll, I mean, I'll watch you it. You should watch it now that you did the story. Well, I started to. I will not watch it with you. <laughs> <laughs> I'll call you up. I did start to watch it, and then... Yeah, I think I got like half an hour in and I was like, this movie is, I don't like movies anyway. Like everyone always makes fun of me because oh <laughs> I have such a like 80, I can't do movies. I've never been into movies. Wow. But like to watch a three hour movie, I was like, N- no. You know what the worst part about it was is that I went and saw it in a theater. Really? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. I thought it was just a like Netflix release. Like No, they had it in theaters before they put oh, it. Oh. That's on even Netflix. worse. You it paid was so terrible. It. it was so terrible. <laughs> oh no. And I went with so Eldar sorry. and like like about halfway through I was like, Are we really gonna stay for this whole thing? And he's like, Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes, we are. Was he yes, into it? I mean, I think he was just like we he's started make the best it, out of it and he yeah. wanted to finish it. So <laughs> Oh, yeah. You're not really selling it to me. I did like no, I said, I, I did I'm being honest. I, I'm not trying to sell it to you. <laughs> yeah. But I I tried to summarize it as best I can in about forty great. minutes. Look, yeah. you've got all the details. I don't really think there's that much more to it. So right, I think right. that was he's, great. He's dead. We don't know how he died. Make your best guess. <laughs> Um, great. That was so awesome. Thank you so much for sharing that. That yeah. was really, really good. I hope it was it was better than than the Irishman. So much better than the movie. <laughs> I feel like I know the story now. Yeah. Yeah. Which is wonderful. Good. Um Looking for your next great audiobook? Try Audible for free for 30 days. With thousands of titles to choose from, Audible has something for everyone. I recently listened to Intimations by Zadie Smith on Audible and loved it. The writing is beautiful and the author's narration was fantastic. Visit audibletrial.com slash peculiar to start your free trial today. All right, this is a story of Leonid Ragosov, who performed an appendectomy on himself in Antarctica in the 1960s. Yes! Oh, I didn't know the name. I've heard that story before, though. Yeah, sure. it's a crazy story. And it actually, it involves two different surgeons. So I'm going to tell kind of two different stories of surgeons that did this exact same thing. Okay, cool. So but let's start with uh, Leonid. He was born in a remote village in the USSR in 1934. He attended medical school in St. Petersburg. And in 1960, he was asked to join an expedition to Antarctica, at which point he was like, hell yeah, count me in. I'm going to go do this. This sounds like fun. Sweet. So 
They all get on a boat. It's him and 12 other members in this expedition. And their goal is to set up a new base. Okay. Um, and the only doctor in the ranks was Leonid because they figured they only needed one doctor. You know, there was only 12 people. Right. Yeah. They had the this researcher, that researcher, and, you know, needed to make sure that everybody stayed healthy. So a doctor. Yes. I, I think a doctor would be a pretty important... Like, you know, when you play, did you ever play um, uh, the Oregon Trail? Yeah. And you, you had to, like, the yeah. best person to be was a doctor. <laughs> this is the second time you've mentioned that to me. <laughs> is it? Yeah. Oh, sorry. You it must love the Oregon Trail. I love the Oregon Trail. Have you ever heard, sorry, this is way off subject. <laughs> Have you ever heard that, like, we're part of the, like, a micro generation <laughs> that's, like, the Oregon Trail generation? Oh. Sorry. Side oh. note. Oregon Trail side note. <laughs> Um, okay, yeah. So Leonid, he actually worked there from September 1960 until October 1962. So he was there for wow. a, a while. On the morning of April 29th, 1961, Leonid began experiencing general weakness, nausea, fever. And as the day progressed, he started to get a really sharp pain in his lower right abdomen. And I bet everyone was freaking out. Yeah, <laughs> like, well, I think he was freaking out. The doctor can't get sick. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so he started to get even worse the next day, and it became clear to him that he had acute appendicitis, and he would need to have surgery immediately, Ugh. which was a big problem because, like I said, he was the only doctor there. Oh, no. There was another Soviet station, but it was really far away. It was like over 1,600 kilometers away. Holy cow. And wow. other countries also had bases, but none of them had the aircraft that they needed to, like, fly. And also there were a ton of blizzards happening, and they wouldn't have even been able to land had they been able to fly to him. Wow. And getting on a boat and going back to the mainland would have taken 36 days. So Ugh. he would have been dead by then. He was SOL for sure. <laughs> it was Yes, he was definitely SOL. Yeah. Given that nobody else had medical training on the base, he realized that he was going to have to operate or he was going to die. Ugh. So at 2 a.m. on May 1st, using only a local anesthetic, he began the surgery. Wow. He enlisted the help of a meteorologist <laughs> and a mechanic. <laughs> get, get, him, get him where you can take him, I guess. Yeah. And he had them hold one of them hold up a mirror so he could see like what he was doing. Oh. And the other one handed him instruments. I don't know why the mirror is like the grossest part. I like know. it like makes sense that he has to see it, but like Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> it seems really disturbing. Yeah. So as an aside, Leonid was not the first person to remove their own appendix. Ugh. That honor, if you <laughs> consider it an honor, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Goes to an American doctor, uh, Dr. Evan Kane who in 1921 oh, completed the surgery goodness. on himself. So this was, you know, quite a while before. Wow. 40 years before. The guy in the 20s lived? Yes. Yeah, oh, yeah, my yeah. goodness. I feel like having an appendectomy in the 20s, like any surgery in the 20s mm -hmm. would be quite perilous anyway, like let alone doing it on yourself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so this actually, and that even wasn't his first surgery that he did on himself. Dr. Kane, before that, removed his left pointer finger when it developed an infection. Um, and he did this using only a topical anesthetic. Ugh. 
Now, most surgeries at that time used ether to knock a patient out before cutting them open. Yeah. However, ether came with a whole like litany of side effects that were really dangerous for a lot of people. One of the worst being, of course, death, you know. So. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't Ooh. don't want to have that. Dr. Kane wanted to prove that you could use other types of anesthetics, but he couldn't find a test subject. So, oh my goodness, he decided because he had like chronic appendicitis, he decided that he was just gonna do this on himself to show people, like, hey, we don't have to use ether every time that you do a surgery. Wow. So, uh, he was on an operating table with a nurse propping him up. And uh, he had at this point in time done the procedure thousands of times on other people. So, he was really like, he felt really confident that he could do it on himself. Mm-hmm. And there were also several other doctors there to observe. So, I mean, he just did it, like, just to, like, be a badass. Like, he didn't have to do that. Well, like, I think he did it to prove a point. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. He was like, I can't get anybody to say yes to me operating on them while they're awake. <laughs> <laughs> So if I just do this on myself, then I can show these doctors that, you know, and and people that it's okay and you can survive it. Okay. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. (laughs) And all in all, it did have a really positive effect in the medical community. More surgeons began to use this alternate form of anesthetics. And so surgeries became a lot safer for people who might have had underlying conditions and couldn't use the ether. Mm-hmm. Um, because sometimes they would just be like, we can't even do this surgery on you because we can't use ether on you because you'll die. So this like gave a lot of doctors the ability to perform surgeries on people who might not have otherwise been able to have them. Cool. Yeah. Mm. So it wasn't all bad. It wasn't not, all bad. not all bad. Okay. Yeah. And this wasn't the last time he performed a surgery on himself either. Okay. Later at the age of 70, he cut himself open again to fix a hernia. See, that was just being a badass, though. Like, he didn't have to do that. Apparently, he was, like, totally unfazed, too, and he was, like, cracking jokes the whole time. Ugh. Yeah, it was crazy. Oh, my God. I can't handle... Like, I work... I mean, I I work... A, I mean, I'm not a first responder, but I work mm-hmm. a little bit with some injuries. And when other people are hurt, I feel like I'm really, like, okay, let's get this done. Like, this is what needs to happen, mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. When I'm hurt, I'm the worst. Like, I'm just like, <laughs> oh, like, help me. Like, yeah, if, yeah. If, it, if I'm bleeding or if I'm yeah. hurt, like, oh, I can't well, handle it. I mean, I don't know. Look, I, I get it. I'm a big believer that if you want something done right, like, sometimes you just got to do it yourself. <laughs> like, that's sure. the long and the short of it. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You and you and Dr. Kane would have gotten along. Yeah, I think we would. Amazingly. Yeah, and he was, like, he had a lot of, like, idiosyncrasies as well. Like, he would sometimes tattoo a little mark near the suture, like, when he was done sewing them up, like, tag. Like, I was just, just, Mm. like, signing his work or something. I don't know. Mm. Which I thought was really weird. Yeah. And then he was also, he wanted to put tattoo marks on women and their, like, newly born babies to avoid like mix-ups with the babies <laughs> which i'm just like why don't you just slap a bracelet on him he he I sounds like he really better. liked tattoos and just yeah, like I wanted any excuse to use i bet tattoos. if he lived today he would just be like decked Cover. out yeah he yeah. have like sleeves of tattoos yeah i bet he would yeah oh 
He was way into it. He was really into it. He was also yeah. a really big proponent of playing music during surgery to help mm-hmm. calm his patients down. So, because they were awake, like yeah, I guess right. I don't know. He started oh. that before he did his his own surgery. So maybe oh. maybe as they went under, or maybe he was doing it on some of his patients before, or some things didn't need to be. You know, they didn't need to be knocked out for for whatever reason. Yeah. But yeah, he was like really into that. He was like, we need to play, you know, music for all of our patients. Heavy metal, um, I'm assuming. That's- <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't, you know, so this is a side story. Um, <laughs> Wait, what? I, uh, <laughs> I can't believe. No, we, do, we don't do any side stories. Like, I don't know, maybe I might have been like eight or nine years ago. I, I have MS and I went in for this experimental treatment that involved getting um, an angioplasty on a vein in my neck. Mm. And to do that, it's like, it's not super invasive. You don't go under completely for it, but they do like give you painkillers. So you're kind of out of it. And they like uh, use local anesthetic and they like cut you open Ugh. in like your, your groin to like put the cat, like the thing up and bring it yeah, up yeah. inside your vein. Anyway, it's real a little too much information i'm sure but when i when i was having it done the doctor was playing music and he was playing that song you know that one i don't know what the name of it is maybe it's maybe this is the name of it knock knock knocking on heaven's door oh yeah (laughs) i did not think that that was very chill no i was not okay with that (laughs) so that was not thought out very well (laughs) <laughs> or it was. I mean, he yeah, was like oh. singing along to it too. Like this was his jam when he was like doing this stuff. I was like, "What is? Uh, let's let's yeah. not be singing about like going to heaven. I know when you're doing surgery. It's not. I was not having that. Oh my! But goodness. there was nothing I could do. You know, like oh oh no no crappy. I'm not even sure that even did anything too. Like I'm like years later. I'm like I don't even know if that made a difference, but. How are you even going to tell? You have a good story. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) It didn't feel like it at the time. I I know. I'm sure it didn't. I was like terrified. Oh. I think there was more than one song, too, he played with that like kind of theme as well. That your doctor? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I feel like there might have been something wrong with him. Yeah. He's like, no, this is my playlist. Like, I can't. I have to have this playlist. Yeah. He's like, bro, let's uh, knock it off now. Okay. (laughs) Okay, so let's go back to Antarctica. (laughs) Um, After Leonid made the first incision, he accidentally cut into his large intestines, which is not a good thing. No. (laughs) And he had to like suture that back up before he went in and got the the appendix. Do you think that was like, he was like, shit. Like, do you think that was a... Oh, I'm sure he was freaking out. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I don't think that that was a good thing. I just wonder how like calm he was about it like if he was like oh no or if he was like really upset he said that he wasn't having a good time no okay (laughs) but he did say he was like i just tried to take my time right yeah like this has got to get done there's no turning back now yeah i mean because the other on the other side of that is like you know he he would die so right he he had to do this 
Yeah. Uh, he lost copious amounts of blood during this Ugh. time, and he almost lost consciousness like several times while he was performing the surgery. Oh my goodness! Which I mean, I don't know if it was that he was losing blood or just that he was like looking at his intestines. You know? Right? Like I feel yeah. like just the sight of that would make you yeah. go unconscious if it's your own intestines. You know, I can Ugh. understand somebody else's, but your own intestines. That's got. I wonder be. if he kind of like separated it. Like I wonder. Yeah if he like really felt like it was somebody else almost like uh-huh, uh-huh. I feel like you'd have to kind of like have like an out of body experience to yeah. do something like that but I Ugh. mean it took him two hours is that is that long for an appendectomy or short I, oh I have no idea but I'm just like oh. can you really be out of body for two hours like that I don't know I feel like doctors particularly a doctor that like is going to Antarctica like there is a goal we need to get there like mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. I just feel like I'm such an impulsive person. Like, I would just sign up for something like that. You know what I mean? Like, without really thinking it through. Oh, go to Antarctica? Yeah. Yeah. I would do something like that. (laughs) So Yeah. Oh, I would, too. In a heartbeat. I don't know. That's true. I was looking, because I I would love to go to Antarctica. And I was looking at something one time, and it was like four grand. Like, it was so much money. No, no, no. I looked into this, too. Or 12 grand. Maybe it was 12 grand. I don't think so. I don't think so. Really? Yeah. Well, okay. So I read a lot of um, like travel (laughs) blogs about this. Yeah. So if you like purchase it online before you go, you know, Mm -hmm. like that kind of thing, like you sign up and through a, a service or whatever and you do all of that then it's really expensive. I think that's what I was looking at. But if you just like go down there and like show up, it's a lot cheaper. Can you just go there and show up? Yeah, though? you can oh. because they do like plane rides to it all through the summer. From like Chile? Yeah, from Chile. Yeah. Because oh, I really want to go. go to Patagonia. That's like my one of my like live stream is to. I had a friend that was just talking to me about Patagonia. <laughs> I and I was like, the store? <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. Oh, let's go. And that's one we of the things go. that I wanted to do. And Eldar was like, there's no way I'm getting on a plane to Antarctica. <laughs> Uh, I'll go. We'll leave him. It's fine. He can hang out in Chile. Yeah. Let's go. Let's do it. I would yeah, love we'll to. We'll podcast from Antarctica. Yeah. And, yeah. But I was reading all these reviews and it's really funny. Like, okay, so there's this, uh, this is another side story. We're just going <laughs> off today. There's this Instagram account my sister-in-law sent me and it's bad reviews of national parks. <laughs> And it is hilarious. It's like they like somebody goes to Big Sur in like the winter and they're like, the water was really cold. <laughs> hmm. Well, like, like it's just all these like stupid things like about like these like gorgeous, like yeah. beautiful places. That's funny. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, it's really funny. So I was reading about Antarctica and I saw one like that and they were like, it's just a bunch of penguins. <laughs> If you like penguins and penguin shit, go to Antarctica. <laughs> Deal. Sign me up. I know, I'm okay with right? that. I oh. want to go to Antarctica one day. Let's go. We'll do it. Yeah. We'll make so, it happen. Let's you go. are laughing and I like I'm vaguely serious. No, I'm I'm 100% serious. Are you yeah. kidding me? I've been okay. like I actually I have an itinerary to go to. Like I'll send it to you after this. Is this, I yes. wanted to do this when I turned 35. That was what I was going to do. Because it's like March is like, um, I mean, it's not going to happen this year. I don't think. No, no. 
All my travel plans have totally <laughs> left. I had all these plans to, like go to Australia and go to this oh, and go and then wow. I'm like, I don't even think I'll be able to go to San Francisco. So Yeah. 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 I can't no even traveling. I can't even go to the store. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Like, you're at least at least I've got a little bit down. more. Yeah. Oh. I yeah. know. I just it's 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 bad here. So, you know. Yeah. Um yeah. one day though. One day we'll one get day. There. Yep, for sure. Okay. So uh, like I said, it took him about two hours. He had to rest every four to five minutes, but he eventually did get his appendix out. And when he got it out, he realized like just how bad it was. There were all these like dark stains on the organ. And he said that if he hadn't done the surgery, then he probably would have died in just a couple of days. It would have burst like the next day. Oh. So he um, he wow. definitely saved his own life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the surgery, wow. it was a success. He took two weeks to recover, and then he was back to his regular duties after that. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Once back home, they gave him the Order of the Red Banner in honor of his brave act. The Russian government yes. did? Yes. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, the, the USSR. Mm. He passed away in 2000 at the age of 66, and he lived in St. Petersburg, for the rest of his life and he had a really great career there he was like head of surgery at one of the um hospitals and yeah but he he made it and you know it's really like the pictures of him after going back home and like receiving the medal he just looks so incredibly happy he looks like a man who like went and like just like stared death in the face yeah and came like out on the something. other side he just looks oh. he looks i've never seen anybody look happier to be alive oh Oh, so, yeah. that's so sweet. That's the story. Wow. Of, that's uh, awesome. Yeah. Thanks of a for man sharing. who did an appendectomy in Antarctica. Leonid Rogosov. Thanks for sharing. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. Cool. Well, you want to do our rundown? Sure. Um, do you want me to go first? On Friday, I was going running. And right when I was starting to run... Your husband started to do his like Facebook live oh. where he was playing. And so I just decided that thank you for my like you like tagged me in it. And thank you so much because I totally forgot. And I just decided that like that would be my like running music while I was oh, wow. running. And it was like, first of all, I feel like I'm like almost shaking like talking about this. Like he is an amazing musician. Like, I feel like, and I feel like that word, like, I think it's just because we're, like, American and we say everything's amazing. Like, that word gets kind of, like, washed out. Mm -hmm. But it's, it's, I don't have the words to talk about how amazing he is. And I've been so honored to, like, have gone to a couple of his shows in uh, Northern California. And so to, like, have him playing while I was running was, like, such a, like, I like can't even describe it like this like meditative like awesome experience. I I've always been somebody that listens to music when I'm running, but it's always like I mean kind of poppy stuff and stuff that you can sing along to. And I I in general don't listen to a lot of mm -hmm. classical music or jazz or you know the the stuff that he plays. And it it wouldn't be something that I would like be drawn to really. Mm -hmm. But it was like. I don't know. Like I, I felt it was like like he'd play faster stuff, and I'd feel like I could run faster, and he'd play like more mellow stuff, and I feel like I would be like so much more mellowed. Like I've always been somebody that's run 
to kind of think like I, mm-hmm. while I'm running, I'm like thinking about things in my day and, you know, these things that are stressing me out. Like it's just kind of my time to walk through these things. Mm-hmm. But listening to him, it was like the opposite. Like it was, like I said, it was so like meditative. Like I was so like not thinking about anything, mm-hmm. just getting a like chance to rest. And I like, which is so like something that everybody needs right now mm-hmm. so much. It was just amazing. Like I've read all these articles about like, how music affects how you run. Mm-hmm. And I've always been like, oh, not not really for me, but it's just because I always listen to the same thing. But like to listen, like I was just, like I said, it was just this huge moment of just like peace and like centering and like like oh, a breath. Wow. Like, yeah. So I, I like, please tell him thank you. Like, oh, I will. It was just like one of the best runs I've had in a very long time. Oh, he'll, and, he'll love to hear that. I think it was kind of difficult for him too because when he normally plays, he gets to like, feel the energy from the audience. Right, right. So yeah. I think it'll mean a lot to him to hear that because he almost felt like it was like, you know, in a way playing into a void because there's nobody mm-hmm. there. But I know that'll mean a lot to him. I'll, I'll okay. let him know for sure. Yeah, I was I was very happy <laughs> that he did that. Yeah, uh, yeah. So. I was really proud of that show for him too. I'm, I'm all, I mean, I'm obviously extremely proud of him because he's, yeah. you know, he is... And I'm not just saying this because I'm his wife. He is no. so freaking talented. It's insane. So, yeah. It's insane. Yes. Um, yeah. That show was really special. So I'm really glad mm-hmm. that it that I reminded you. I'm glad you had a good run to it. I, I know yeah. that he'll be really happy to hear that. Good. Thanks. Awesome. I'm trying to think what my run is now. It's, I, um, I would say I haven't been sleeping very well lately. Um, mm-hmm. for obvious reasons, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. but I got a really, really good night's sleep last Monday night. I guess it was a week ago. This is the last time I got a good night's sleep. If <laughs> that tells you anything, um, Aww. but I finally slept. I could finally slept like a solid, like I got like nine hours. It was amazing. Yes. I felt like a new person. I like, I was like, who am I? And who was I before? And like, why can't I always feel this <laughs> what way I before? Yeah. And yeah. so I went for a really nice run that day and it just felt really good. It, it felt really healthy, you know? Mm. Because I mm-hmm. feel like when you don't get enough rest for your body, like you, you, you don't, your body doesn't feel good. Like you don't feel healthy. You don't feel vibrant. You don't feel alive. Right. And so yeah. I went for a run that day and it just felt, I just felt really alive and I just felt really grateful Aww. for my health and for sleep. <laughs> and yes. it just made yeah. me realize like how, like, even in these dark times, you still have to take care of yourself. Yeah. You still have to take care of yourself. You yeah. Know? It's, it's, it's twice as hard to do, mm-hmm. but yeah. you still have to do it. And yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah. So that was my run. Oh, that's so good. I'm, I'm glad that you were. Yeah. Yeah. I think I'll sleep again soon. Yeah. <laughs> Someday. <laughs> Maybe I'll sleep. One of yeah. these days. <laughs> yeah. I would I'll say that sleep. things are Things will hopefully start looking up, but I feel like I keep saying that. And I know. Wake up the next morning and it's like, oh, oh wow. crap. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. <sighs> well. Yeah. Anyway. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Yeah. Please uh, rate, listen, subscribe, and share. That helps out a whole bunch. Yes, it does. Yes, it and does. follow us on all the things on uh, Facebook at Peculiar Stories and Fart Tales. And we're at PeculiarStoriesAndFartTales.com. And Instagram. 
Oh, yeah, Instagram, Peculiar Stories and Fire Tales. Yes. And then there's info at... Peculiar Stories and Fire Tales. <laughs> yeah, and then our Patreon is patreon.com slash P-S-A-F-O-T. Yes. Really simple, easy, free way to help us is just to listen and rate and tell your friends and yes. tell them to rate us on whatever you're listening. It just takes two seconds, people. Two seconds. That's all and we, we ask love for. Forever. We've yeah. been sitting here talking for an hour. Just yeah. give us a little. <laughs> Look what we yeah. do for you. <laughs> yes. Uh, we work so hard. <laughs> All right, guys, have a wonderful day, night, morning, whatever you're doing. And please remember that it is far better to be peculiar than to be boring. Yeah, have a good day. Good. Bye, guys. Bye, guys.